You're listening to the Passion Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people win by living a genuine Jesus-filled life. If you are ever in Cameron, Missouri, then come and join us and be a part of the Passion Church family. You can visit our website, passionchurchmo.com, to find out more about us. Years of slavery in America, a slave wasn't legally allowed to get a marriage license. So they had a ceremony when they would marry a slave couple that they would put a broom on the ground, and after they had exchanged vows, the couple that would jump the broom saying, we're entering into our new life, leaving the past behind, and now going together. Our singleness is behind us. Together we go in unison uh, into our life. And a couple, three weeks ago, I preached the message on it's time for the church to jump the broom because God is coming back for a spotless bride. He's coming back for a bride that is adorned. He's coming back for a bride that is ready. He's coming back for a bride who was sold out to the purpose of Christ Jesus, who are sold out to him, who have eyes for him and only for him. And so... I started that, and then we, then we went and switched. In the next uh, message, I told you that the broom sweeps both ways. In the Old Testament, the broom sweeps towards uh, judgment. In the New Testament, the broom sweeps for deliverance and for finding lost things. And so <clears throat> we're going to continue with that. And as I studied this out, uh, the Word of God is so rich and so real. How many understand that the Word interprets the Word? The Word of God interprets the Word. And if you leave the Word in context, as you read, the Word becomes clear and understandable. It's when we break it apart and compartmentalize the Word and, and try to attach this piece to this piece without understanding the full canonization of the word without understanding the full counsel of the word that we oftentimes build goofy doctrines and today it's important that uh, when I read as I read this if I was to break it down I could break it down and just finish this message but if if we don't capture the first part the second part won't have as much impact on our lives and so I want to make sure that we have that, uh, that we capture the full impact of this message. So very well, we may finish today, but pretty good chance we're going to finish this next week. To all of you who are streaming live, God bless you. Welcome to Passion Church. We're glad that you are here. And for all of our friends who listen on the WOTG network uh, of radio stations, we thank you for listening in and tuning in with us and being a part of the Passion Church family. You are welcome here at any time. Please come see us physically at uh, 1018 North Cedar, and that's just going to be until the first of the year, and then we're moving into our new facility, Woo-hoo! and we'll give, you, we'll give you that address a little bit later. So Luke, the 11th chapter, everybody look at your watch, moan real big, that's 45 minutes, that's only going to take me about an hour and a half to get this message done. Some of you believe me, some of you don't. How many would like to be done before that? Good. If you get done before that, bring me back a sack of lunch because I'm probably still going to be preaching. It's just a joke. Luke, the 11th chapter, starts like this. I'm going to read out of the King James if that's all right with you. And it came to pass that 
He was praying in a certain place, and when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, there had to be something about the way Jesus prayed for them to go, teach us how to do that. Mm, I'm preaching, leave me alone, here we go. Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, when, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven so on earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone that is indebted to us, and lead us not into to temptation, but deliver us from evil. And of course, if you go over to Matthew, the sixth chapter, this uh, same prayer is repeated, and there's an ending on it in Matthew 6 that is not in Luke, where he says, uh, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Let's look at this. Verse 5. And he said unto them, now he's just told them how to pray. Understand that the thought is continuing on. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto thee, Thou shalt not rise, uh, thou, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, in other words, this person just won't quit, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. In other words, you, you irritate somebody if you stand at the door long enough, you keep knocking long enough, you're bound to get an answer. Verse 9, and I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given. In other words, God isn't like your neighbor. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you, that is, uh, a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give Will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? Mm. How many knows God gives good gifts? How many knows God gives good blessings? How many know God gives the Holy Spirit when you ask him? He gives you the empowerment that you need to work this thing out in your walk of salvation. Verse 14. And when he and he was casting out a devil, and it was dumb, and it came to pass, when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake, and the people wondered. But some of them said, He casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And another, tempting him, sought of him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, 
Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because you say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub, and if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Mm, I love the way Jesus was always getting right to the point and right to the heart of the matter. Therefore shall they be your judges. But if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. For when a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divided his spoils. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of the man shall be worse than the first. Mm. I'm going to stop right there. The final thought that I've got for this message, which will probably end next week, is it's time for the final sweep. It's time for the final sweep. How many believes that, that not only the world, but the church needs a good house cleaning? Uh, come on, let's tell the truth. The church of Jesus Christ needs a good house cleaning. We've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. We've become so uh, concerned with not offending anyone that we've allowed sin to run rampant within the hallways of, our, of the house of God. How many remember what Jesus did when the church when he found the church sinful? He went in and cleared the temple. He went in and turned things over. Did he do it in a pretty nice pristine way? No, he came in and he displayed who he was. He came in and displayed what what was a displeasure unto him. And judgment still falls, ladies and gentlemen. Judgment still falls even though we live under grace. And, and when we get to Revelation and you see Jesus returning, he's returning with fire in his eyes because he's coming to judge those who knowingly are doing the things they are doing and know better than what they're doing. And he's coming to set the world in proper order. But in order for us to, to get to the deliverance portion of this, we have to understand it looks like subjects changed, but they did not change. First, the disciples asked him, could you teach us how to pray the way that you pray? Because John's John taught his disciples how to pray, and we want to know how to pray like our master prays. We want to know how to pray effectively. Further on, it goes in, and then it shows that Jesus was being persecuted by the church around him because he used that power of prayer to sweep another man's house clean through the authority that he carried in the gospel. Now, if you want to find persecution, pick up your phone right now and type something righteous out there on a site that's lifting up something that you know is counter 
uh, productive to the gospel and see just how much persecution you get. At the last count of the last thing I posted online, I got 750. Some of them were praising. Some of them were agreeing. Many of them were calling me anything but a righteous man. And it was no different for Jesus. And Jesus said, if they hated me, if you want a good understanding of where you are in the gospel, how many haters you got? Because the more you stand up for righteousness, the more the world detests you. And what's worse is the persecution typically doesn't come as much from the world as it does from the Mm, I'm having fun. You all don't look like you're having near as much fun as I'm having right now. But the Lord wants his house swept clean. That's why Jesus came to help us sweep the house clean. How many have had a good house cleaning through Jesus Christ? There ain't nothing like a good house cleaning in Jesus Christ. There is nothing like walking with the Messiah and one day realizing I don't do the things I used to do. I don't even desire the things I used to do. I've become so in love with him. My vessel has become so pure, so clean. I don't want to go back. I don't ever want to go back to the things that I used to do. In fact, my whole life is lived on how to grow forward, how to become more than I am now, how to love more than I love now, how to look more like Christ than I look right now how to learn of him be like him walk like him talk like him represent him wherever I go how many of you that's your desire yeah. mm -hmm. so the understanding of what I'm about to unfold for you starts in verse one here when the disciples asked the Messiah how to pray when they asked Jesus to share with them his way to pray. It's very, very important for us when we get to the understanding of how to sweep the house. Are you ready? All right, let's take a look at those first few verses again. Look at this. Let's go to verse 2. And he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let's just stop right there for just a minute. The first and foremost thing you've got to understand about prayer is that it is personal relationship. Yeah. See, he's teaching them, the disciples, who operate and work as a whole, the same as the church operates and works as a whole, but he's teaching them that the whole will not be strong unless the individual who helps make up the whole has a personal relationship with the Father. Are you still with me? So our Father means relationship. Understand this, that everything Jesus taught was about the kingdom. After he came out of the wilderness, he said the kingdom of God is at hand. His agenda has never changed. Jesus still teaches and ministers and is building a kingdom. He came to this earth because the earth had gotten reversed under Adam and had gotten misaligned 
and lost. And he came to reestablish what it was that God desired to be upon the earth in the first place. So the first thing we must understand that if we're going to have a house that is swept and clean, it starts with relationship with our Heavenly Father. Slap your neighbor a high five and say, I've got this already checked off on my list. Mm. So it starts with relationship. You must first know the Father in order to approach him. Now, many of us, we don't know him. He knows us, thank God. And when we come to the altar and we cry out his name, there he is. He's as close as the mention of his name, and he wants to be your friend, and he wants to be in your life, and he wants to be your help, and he wants to strengthen you, and he wants to help you clean your house, but he cannot if you hold him at arm's length. You must embrace him in relationship. Who could say amen? Then he goes on to say, hallowed be thy name. So first you approach the throne based upon your relationship. Here I am, Father, your child, that one bought and purchased by the blood of the Lamb. Here I am in right standing for what Christ has done for me. It's not my righteousness that stands before you. It's Jesus' righteousness. And so I have the right now to come boldly, as Paul taught us, to stand in your presence and have this relationship with you. And I come without fear because you and I have right relationship. But then he moves on and says, once you've had the right relationship, then you must approach him in worship. You don't just walk into the presence of the king spouting your wants. You come in and let him know what his worth is to you. You come in and surrender. You come in and let him know that he is the power that is greater than you. You come in and let him know that I, I bow before you. I surrender all that I am. I come in adoration. I come in thankfulness. I come in a desire for you. I pour out myself and I accept, Father, that you are God in the fullness. I desire you. I want you because you are so supreme. You are are so glorious you are so wonderful so I come desiring you I come hallowing your name I come with the understanding that I am nothing and you are everything and in your presence in your presence is where I find my life my substance who I am and so I bow to your supreme glory I bow to your holiness I bowed on everything that you are that I cannot be without you and I lay prostrate on my face and I cry out your name because it's that relationship that I need I not only have relationship with you I want more and I put myself in a proper place that I might commune with you and it doesn't just stop with me calling your name but here I am saying Lord everything I am everything I ever be I owe it all to you and I've come to magnify the name above every other name. If that's your Lord, give him a hand clap. Mm. Ooh, I love this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed 
be thy name, thy kingdom come. After I've spent adequate time magnifying him and glorifying him, then I remind him that I understand his purpose. That I didn't come to this throne to tell you my purpose, Lord. I came here to bow to your purpose. I came here to bow to your goodness. I came here so you understand that I understand my purpose in your kingdom. Mm. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, I've come to align myself not only with you, Father, but in unity with every other believer that I might help carry out your mission on the earth. Mm. I'm feeling this deep down. This is way down inside my cowboy boots. I feel it. Look at this. When we come into agreement and alignment with God's desire here upon the earth, it is his desire, not ours. Our self-willed living is actually counterproductive to God's will. And when I come in unity, I'm letting him know this isn't about me, Father. Now you know I'm a fat man. This isn't about me. This isn't about how much I'm recognized. This isn't how popular my name is. This isn't that I hold an exalted position. You see, Jesus is teaching his disciples not to go the pharisaical route. He's teaching them that it's not hierarchy, and it's not thinking you're better than somebody else. It's aligning yourself with God's purpose, God's will, God's truth, God's desire, and joining everyone else in his purpose and desire that we may carry out here in the earth our assignment. Slap your neighbor a high five. Say, I'm on my assignment. Mm. We are not living for self, but we are living for God. And God's desire is that his kingdom is established upon the earth just as if it all, just as it already exists in heaven. Mm. Now, Listen, we want this. I think the church has fallen short of building kingdom. We've been great with waves of revival. We've been great with getting people born again. But we really have not been very good at discipleship and raising up soldiers and raising up people who understand the truth, who are radical against the gates of hell. We've not been real good at teaching people how to live the day-to-day -day in Christ. I got a couple people agreeing with me. That's good. So look at this. God's desire is that his kingdom is established upon the earth just as it already exists in heaven. Because in heaven, no one breaks the law. No one gets sick. No one rebels. No one dies. And where... 
our lives live to establish God's desires, not our own. In heaven, no one is self-willed. And it works perfectly. But here, because we like to be self-willed and we're born self-willed, and if you think you weren't born self-willed, those of you that are raising your children, just remember back to when they were two. I can't imagine how God feels because I remember holding that little creature who was about 19 inches long who would go, defied everything I said. One of the strong, he's up here praising God. I don't know, the Lord delivered me for sure. But that was the strongest willed child I ever saw. We were just gearing up because we knew we were going to be in and out of juvenile hall with that child. (laughs) But I love this because God's desire is to bring the opulence, the goodness, the glory the power, the strength of heaven to earth. See, if you understand, it was Adam's original plan. God planned for Adam to bring heaven to earth, to subdue the earth until it looked like heaven. And God's agenda didn't change. He just sent Jesus to empower those of us who were born into sin to rise above it and begin to live holy and righteous and pure and clean, not in our own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ Jesus and denying ourselves and denying our will that we may carry out the will of the Father. I'm going to get done with this, I promise. So let's take a look at this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done as it is in heaven, so in earth. Mm. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, first, we must have relationship with him. We must, we must worship him or surrender to him. And then we must come into unity with his plan before we ever approach him with our desire, our want, our need. How many knows the word says it's not wrong to have a desire or a need and to go to the Father for it? This part of the prayer tells us that. Give us this day. It is a petition. It is time to make your petition known. After you have approached the king in righteousness, then come in and make your petition known. I have needs, Lord. I have desires, Lord. Uh, If you're going to follow him, I want you to understand that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So if we approach his throne, right, you see the word says that we have not because when we, we, we either ask not or when we do ask, we ask amiss. In other words, we didn't follow his desire or his plan when we came in. It was we made it all about us and our immediate need, and we're using God as though He's a big Mastercard whack, that we could swipe uh, for our needs. And He said, "No, you approach me 
And if you approach me right, there's a spot for you to make known your petitions. And when you make your petitions known, how would a good father give you something you didn't ask for? How would a good father not give you? He's not a bad neighbor who, who wants to lay in bed and be selfish and not help you in your moment of need. He's ready to answer you in the very moment. And if you ask him, he'll give you the most, uh, the most precious prize that he has in all of his jewelry called the Ruach Hakadesh, the Holy Spirit, the one called alongside, the paraclete that'll strengthen you, empower you, give you strength for the life in which we live. What more could you need but the Holy Ghost? When you got the Holy Ghost, everything else is going to get answered in your life because you're walking with him, talking with him, acting like him, being like him, displaying him, hearing him, knowing him. There's no better thing to have, no greater gift you could get from the Father than the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? Amen. Mm. After you've made your petitions known, then you've got to make sure that your heart is right for the receiving. I know this is kind of strange, but we're going to get there. Look at this. He teaches us to forgive. Ask for forgiveness, but as you ask for forgiveness from the Father, make sure you're not harboring unforgiveness in your life towards someone else. The word says that will impede the Father's ability to forgive you because you are not willing to do what you desire from him to do for you. Remember when Jesus taught this, he taught it in parable about the man with money and how one man was forgiven for a, for a, a large debt. And then he went out and demanded of a brother and threw him in jail and was ugly and nasty to him for a small debt even though he had been forgiven for a big debt. And God wants us to understand that all of us have a big debt. And the things that happen between us here on the earth, that is nothing and minuscule. There is nothing that a good conversation and a right heart cannot fix this side of glory. Well, you say, well, so-and-so did me wrong. Yes, they did. It's horrible. It stinks. It's lousy. But you still, because you have the greatest gift of all living on the inside of you, have the power to forgive. You have the power to say, it's as if it never happened. You have the power. You may never forget, and you may never have to ever, you may never ever trust that that person will be good to their word again. But you must forgive them for the act that was perpetrated against you. You must have it right. Forgive us as we forgive others. This is called the release. You got to let it go. That sounds like a movie. Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> oh, you have to watch those little kid movies. Ladies and gentlemen, forgiveness is powerful. This is more powerful than anything that's happened. This is powerful because it works in both heaven and earth at the same time. When you forgive someone here, it happens in heaven. It is powerful because unforgiveness is powerful. You don't think unforgiveness is powerful? L listen to me. When you hold somebody in unforgiveness, you build a wall in your relationship with that person. 
you build a wall that, that intends to put them in prison. You build a wall and you put something around their life, you think, that will hold them and encapsulate them. And in your heart, you're never going to ever hand them a key and release them because they did you wrong. What we don't understand is we're the one who's in prison because we built the wall, but we were so silly we built it around ourselves because we don't want to act like our heavenly father. We want to be self-willed in this one area. And the word says when you come before him, you empty yourself of who you are and you say, I'll take on your will. I'll do it your way, father. I'm not going to do it my way. I'm going to do it the way that the word tells me to do it. I'm going to do it the way that you desire it to be done. Done, not the way I desire it to, to be done. So you're telling the Heavenly Father, I'm smarter than you in this situation. Man, when you preach hard enough to set the car alarm off, you've done it. <laughs> I'm almost through. Slap your neighbor high five. Say, he's about done with this rant. <laughs> you see, that prison only becomes your prison. God says in order to obtain forgiveness, we must in like manner forgive those who have hurt, wronged, manipulated, lied about, offended, harmed, and molested us. That one's tough, I know. But remember, we are to be like heaven on earth. And there is no hatred. There is no offense. There is no unforgiveness in heaven. Are you with me? How many understand you need the Holy Spirit to help you in this area? How many realize now you have a big weakness? Huh? We need the Holy Spirit. Mm. So, I want you to understand that no one in heaven plots. No one in heaven harbors evil. No one in heaven is allowed to be self-willed in this area that would hold someone in contempt. You may have been bitter rivals here on the earth, and if you got your heart right and you make it to heaven, you'll be the best of friends with that person. It will be as if it never happened. Here you won't forget the acts that were happened or perpetrated against you, but your heart will choose. And ladies and gentlemen, forgiveness is a choice, not an emotion. You will never get your emotions to line up with everything you believe. You just have to force sometimes yourself to do the right thing. There's been times people have done things to me, Kevin, that I've had to just go when the devil brings it up because I've chosen to forgive. And so when the enemy comes, here's what, you know what I say to the enemy? Well, okay. I see you want to dump trash, but you ain't dumping trash here. You can dump your trash somewhere else in someone else's territory, but you ain't dumping it here. You won't dump it on my life because I know the word of God. I know the truth. I know the key to the kingdom. I'm going to live for him. I'm not going to get myself trapped in a prison because somebody wronged me. If you want to get wrong, just do something for Jesus. Mention Jesus to a neighbor. 
Mention Jesus to somebody who's got a little something-something going on. Come on, come on. You're going to find out what it's all about. And somebody's going to do something that crosses your path, that upsets you, that makes you want to give up, that makes you want to throw in the towel, that makes you want to hold and harbor bitterness. But I'm here to tell you, you must release it because if you don't release it, you imprison yourself from the blessings of God. Where's my choir when I need it? Mm. So I'm going to move on. The next part of this prayer says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. Now that seems like a strange thing to say to the heavenly Father who never tempts a man. Have you read the word? You can't just read the word. you got to read the word. God himself never tempts a man. But this portion of prayer was given to us for the understanding of the power of your flesh. (laughs) Man, this house was shouting a while ago. Now everybody's like. (laughs) Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God cannot tempt, he will not tempt, but do temptations come? Yes. Yes. And what's really being said here is, Lord, help me with my temptations. Who taught them to pray this? Jesus, the Word. Jesus, the Word, taught them this portion of prayer. Why? Because Jesus was tempted just like you and me. He understood the power of the flesh. He understood the power of the soul. He understood that he could give in to temptation, but he wouldn't give in to temptation. And he knew that the disciples didn't have the fortitude, the strength, nor the relationship with the Father that he had. And so he's giving them an understanding that when you pray and when you get serious with God, do not negate after you have asked for forgiveness and forgiven those in your life. Do not negate the understanding of asking the Lord to deliver you from the temptations that can ensnare you and cause you to need deliverance. Wow, I'm having fun. I'm almost done. This portion of prayer is spiritual warfare. Yeah, Jesus understood spiritual warfare. How many knows that when he hung between heaven and earth upon the cross crying out things while he was gasping for breath as he was suffocating on the cross, he would push himself up and in those moments he would cry things like, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He understood. He understood the warfare. He had the ability to call a host of angels to come and wipe mankind off of the face of the earth, but he held in restraint because he understood you had no hope without him. Mm. So look at this. Spiritual warfare. 
when he said, lead us not into temptation. This is internal warfare of the soul, the mind, the will, the emotions. This is where a man gets tripped up. You don't get tripped up because Miss Goodbody walked by. You get tripped up because you lingered on the fact that Miss Goodbody walked by and you allowed your eye gate to open your mind to go to places that you're not allowed to go after you know the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not allowed to go there. And if you do and you open that door, you are going to find yourself in a world of trouble because you have now allowed the seed of temptation to be planted on the inside of you because every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust. That means desire. And it's there that sin is conceived in the mind, the will, the emotions. You can sin because you entertain things in your mind. You can be so self-willed that you put yourself in absolute contrary position to God and his word and find yourself in sin. You can allow your emotional state to get into a place of depletion or into a place of anger and you can sin even in your emotional realm and it's here that we need deliverance and it's here that we must fight warfare and it's here we need the internal power of the Holy Spirit more than we've ever needed it before. It is here we need the sweeping of God. It is here that we need his help. It is here in my daily walk with him that I have to come to him every day and let him know that although I done well yesterday I'm about to face today so give me the strength because I'm going to enter into temptation somewhere and when I do I want to walk out on the other side of the smoky warfare having not been scarred, touched nor, nor changed in any form or fashion because of that warfare I'm still on the right side of the broom I'm still with my master I'm still with my savior I will not be denied because I will not allow sin into me. Amen. Yeah. Wow. Whew. So lead us not into temptation. The petition here is deliverance from self-will when being tempted. The petition here is deliverance from self-will when we're being tempted. Tempted. It's when you consider yourself in a temptation that you get into trouble. It's when you think about your own want, your own desire, your own need in a moment of temptation that causes you to cross the line. But if you submit, therefore, unto God and resist the devil, James 4, and resist the devil, he doesn't say might. He will flee. Why? Because you got the fortitude in you to say, not my will, but thine be done. Not the way I want it to be, but, Father, the way you want it to be. Not the little something, something that I could pull off and cause a big mess with and damage a whole lot of people. But it is you, Lord. It is you, and it is your way. Not the lie that I could perpetrate. Not the thing that I could do. But you, Father, it's your way and your way alone who can say amen. Mm. So this is internal warfare, not external warfare. If you really want to boil it down, here's what this is saying. Father, 
forgive me or deliver me from me. The devil's not my problem. I'm the problem. The devil does what the devil does. He tempts. That's what he does. The problem isn't him. He's going to do it. The problem is what I do with what he's tempting me with. And I need deliverance from me. If you believe that, give your neighbor a high five. We're almost done. I've said that now. Are you still with me? All right. We're almost there. Give me the character, Father, to submit to you and to resist the devil and his subtle push towards sinful practice. Help me whip him here before I act out. Do you know that if I'm praying this in the morning, I've already beat the temptation for the day? If I'm surrendered to him, the temptations of the day will be much easier for me to submit to God. Because I've already established it with him before I started my day. I'm doing it your way, God. I'm going your way. But if I wake up and become self-willed and think only about myself and don't spend time with the Heavenly Father and don't listen to his word or the counsel there of his word, then I open myself up for a slip, a fall. Now, aren't you glad we got the paraclete, the one called alongside to help us when we have a slip or a fall? But I don't have to have those. Sometimes people say, I've heard a lot of Christians say, and, I, and I'm, I'm not ugly, but I've heard a lot of Christians say, they just don't understand. We all sin every day. <laughs> don't have to. You don't have to sin. You've been freed from sin and empowered to not be there. Now, can you sin? Yes, the capacities in all of us. And if you do, I'm not here to throw a stone at you. I'm here to help restore you, help you get back, help you come back. People make mistakes. People do stupid things. I've done many stupid things. Don't say amen. <laughs> We've all done them. But the beauty is, the, is two things. Number one, first of all, it's better if I've spent that time with him and I put the, de- the enemy to flight. Second of all, if I do make a mistake, it's best if I run back to him quickly. Don't stay out there in your mistake. Don't stay out there in your sin. Don't stay out there in self-willed wallow. Come to the Father. Run back to him and reestablish it and get it right. Who can say amen to that? In Matthew, the sixth chapter, it ends this prayer this way. For thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. For thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. That is the final thought in this prayer, and it is surrender. We've we've been to worship and surrender, but we're back to just absolute surrender. It all belongs to you, Father. You are sovereign. You alone set the rules. You deserve what you desire. You alone are God. You alone rule your kingdom. I am a citizen of your kingdom. By your grace, I am saved. Through your mercy, I have been forgiven. By your blood, I am covered and clothed in righteousness. That's not even mine. It's yours. 
And I bow to who you are. And I am willing to serve you all the days of my life. And I will live to help you establish what belongs to you on the earth, your kingdom. Amen. So be it. As you can tell by the clock on the wall, there's no time to finish this. So we will finish it next week. It was important and imperative that I give you this part because this part will help you understand the next part of this message. Your prayer life is crucial as a child of God. Your prayer life is the power to sustain you in your walk with Christ. If you're going to jump the broom, then you can't jump the broom and remain prayerless. You must pray, but you don't need to just shotgun all of your prayers, which I have a tendency to do sometimes. We need to direct our prayers. We need to use the pattern that Christ has given us to approach the Father for our daily walk with him so that we hide his word in our heart that we might not sin against God. Because I've been bought by his blood, adopted into his family. I carry his name, and the world is watching. And if I slip, if I play around, if I compromise, I show them it's okay for them to do it. Wow, this is so serious. Can you believe that? But I don't want anyone to be deceived. We're entering into the darkest days that America's ever known. I just, Colleen just shared with me a, a, a statistic that staggers my mind. Did you know the fastest growing church right now in America? I know what you're going to think it is. It is Satanism. Ever since the election of our new president, Satanism is on the rise. Praying, darkness, deeds of darkness. I probably shouldn't even say this stuff publicly, but I'm saying it anyway. The light needs to shine on darkness. If you think the next few years of our life is going to get easier, I'm here to tell you it will if you stay in Christ. But if you're going to try to fight this half in, half out, part in the kingdom, part in self-will, doing it kind of my way, you know, setting the fence, riding the fence. I'm here to tell you, those Christians will not survive. The Bible says it will be difficult for the very elect. I'm explaining to you that we're being prayed against every day. Our nation's being prayed against. There are those with, with bazillions of dollars who want to destroy the morality of our nation and bring it down so that they can control it. I got to be careful. That sounds like a lot of, uh, what do you call that? Conspiracy theories. But there are truths that you need to understand. There are those out there that are trying to destroy our right to speak. If you don't think so, the challenge today, say something positive for Jesus on your phone out there and find out they want you to shut up. Why? Because you represent righteousness. You represent him. 
and they've already sided themselves against him. And because they're against him, they're against you. Jesus said, they hate me, they'll hate you. Now, my kind of preaching doesn't always go over very well everywhere. There are places that wouldn't tolerate me for a minute, but that's okay. I'm going to preach the truth long and loud. I'm going to preach the truth as long as there's air in these lungs. I'm going to preach the truth, and if my lungs were out, I'll just write it out. I'm going to keep preaching the truth and holding the standard of righteousness up as Jesus intended for it to be. And for us to be successful in the body of Christ, we must come to the Father in the way he's patterned for us to come to build the strength we need to sustain us in the darkest days of America. Who could say amen to that? Amen. With every head bow and every eye closed for just a minute. Jason, if you could give me that music back there that we established the other day for just a moment. How many born-again Blood-bought children of the Most High God do we have in this house. Just raise your hand up real proud. Yeah, awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. But just for a moment, I want you to survey your life. You know, when I preach these messages, then I have to live them. You think God just lets me get up here and just say whatever and then go home and do what I want? No. I'm accountable for the words that come out of my mouth and for the counsel of his word that I release. God has called us to here for such a time as this to lead revival in our region. But it can't just be we're the popular new thing on the block that serves better coffee than the church across town. And I like coffee, don't misunderstand me. God's looking for a people who will set themselves apart, allow themselves to be different, cleansed, pure, purified, holy, righteous in his sight. He's looking for people who are not afraid to pay the price. He's looking for a church who thinks it's worth doing it his way. He's looking for a selfless people. He's looking for a people who will allow God to be God in all that they do. Because it's the only right order. And today, church, I just want to know. I'm not here to pick. I'm not here to point out. I'm not here to condemn. But while there's no one looking, if, if you could improve in this area, would you lift your hand and say, that's me, Pastor. I need to improve. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All over the house. I could do some improvement in this area. I could really do a little better. Father, I pray for these right now whose hands have been lifted, who want to do better. Father, I raise my hand. I want to do better. I want to live for you. I want to live righteous. I want to live holy. I want to live pure. For those of you that are streaming today, if this is you, if you realize I'm falling short of the glory of God, I'm not doing what I 
once did. I'm not living the way I once did. I want you to just, there's no, it doesn't even matter if there is someone next to you, just raise your hand right now. Raise your hand. And Father, we come to you right now in the fullness of repentance, and we ask you, Lord, to forgive us of our sins, forgive us of our self-willed living, forgive us of our unrighteousness, forgive us, Father, of all of the things that we have allowed ourselves to get into that is contrary to your word. For we want to live righteous and pure and clean and holy. We want to lift up clean hands unto you and know that our heart is pure. Today we ask you, Lord, to help us to turn it around. If we're harboring unforgiveness, Father, today we loose, we loose whoever it is that we've held in bondage. We loose them today that we would not sin against you. Father, we ask you, Lord, to give us strength over our emotional state, our mind, and our will, that we would not sin against you. Our desire is to live in such a way that we show the world what it is that they've never seen. We show the world what it is that they really long for and desire. That is a complete lock, stock, and barrel sellout unto the Heavenly Father. That is our desire today, and we receive it today in Jesus' mighty name. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We would love to connect with you on Facebook or Instagram at Passion Church Mo. Until next time, God bless.